Welcome and happy Friday. This is Travelog, the podcast of Condé Nast Traveler. I'm here in the Condé Nast podcast studios with Laura Redman, Aaron Florio, and Sebastian Modak, all of whom are editors for Traveler. And my name is Brad Rickman. Our subject for today is going to be the city of Sydney, which I believe is in Australia. Is that correct? Playing dumb again. Yeah. Okay. It's a, no, <laughs> not the capital, though, as a lot of people it, would yes, have. It the is. capital is Canberra, if anyone's wondering. Okay. Capital is Canberra. Good. So we're already better informed than we were 30 seconds ago. We probably won't ever devote an entire podcast episode to Canberra. Canberra. Sorry, Canberra. It's on the up, man. It's on the up. It is on the up. They have a good hotel. They call call it the can. The can. So with a name like that, it probably merits its own podcast episode. It does. Let's just find out how their CVB spends their dollars. Okay. We don't roll that way. Um, Okay. Anyway. Bonafides for you guys. Laura is the editor of our Sydney City Guide. I'm sure you've all seen our city guides. They are terrific. Aaron wrote the black book that appeared in our magazine. What issue was this, Aaron? It's in the current issue, so July and August. July, August issue. issue. Mm -hmm. And Seb was just in Sydney recently on tour. We watched him on Instagram. So I also also lived there for two years as a little wee lad. As a wee tot. Yeah, as we taught. So oh, he, that's right. And you went to your childhood home. I More did. on that when later. I was there, yeah. Oh, okay. We're going to have to talk about that. Yeah. I didn't realize you'd done that. Okay. So I have never been to Sydney, and our job here today is to prep me. This is, again, I get the host's prerogative, is to prep me for a trip to Sydney. And my first question to you guys is this is on literally the other side of the world. How long does it take to get there? And what's sort of the minimum? stay, you know, what kind of time frame should I be looking at? What makes it worth the while? Two years. <laughs> <laughs> That's just how long it takes to get there. But once you're there, you should stay for at least two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. It depends on where you're leaving from, but there are new flights, newish flights by Air New Zealand that leave out of Houston and we'll go Houston direct to Auckland, New Zealand, and you transfer over to Sydney. That's what I did on my most recent trip. They have a killer business class if you are so lucky to indulge. Um, they are these lie flat bed pods that are literally mattresses. They put down memory foam mattresses and you get a duvet. And I had the best night's sleep on my nine hour, no, I had nine hours of sleep on an 11 hour flight roughly from Houston to Auckland. The whole thing and change I think was about 18 hours. I can't remember. In my head, it might yeah. have been like a day. I it, was going to say, like, I feel like you budget about 24 hours right? for travel for most flights. It, yeah. From the East Coast, it's you're looking at 24 hours. But I will say, yeah, Air New Zealand is really, really great. Actually topped our RCA list this year for your favorite airline. But, you know, Qantas, which is the Australia flagship carrier, is super fantastic. They always fly the Dreamliner when you go out of L.A., fly direct into Sydney. The last time, maybe not last time, second last time I went to Sydney, I flew out of L.A., and I was on the Dreamliner and Qantas just makes that flight, like they sort of prioritize that flight as I think like Air New Zealand does as well. Those mm-hmm. long haul cross Pacific flights, you get the best snacks, you get the best lighting, you <laughs> the get best the best crew, entertainment, yeah. you get the best crew. It's just a nicer experience. So don't be put off by the flight. Is that because it's important to them or just because they... they um I would I would speculate and say it's a mixture of both. One, it's a very lucrative route flying you know between LA and Sydney, which are two global hubs. Yeah. But second of all, I think... They want people to talk about it the way we're talking about it right now. Like, don't be put off by the flight. It's perfectly comfortable. It's fine because a lot of people unnecessarily are put off by the distance, I think. And I have to say, I've been doing this Trans-Pacific East Coast to New Zealand, Australia territory my entire life. The most comfortable flights I ever fly on are the ones that are always overnight 
crossing the Pacific way easier than domestic, way easier than going to Europe. So don't be put off by it. And you know, the, the fun thing too is Australians are the consummate travelers. Like it's baked into their DNA. I feel like in part because they are far away from a lot of other countries. And it's also culturally, like that's just who they are. They want to get out. They want to explore. And I remember talking to a guy um, I was sitting next to on my most recent flight who went from Sydney you know, a couple times a year to visit his daughter who was studying in Atlanta and he had flown everything, business class, everything. And he said the same thing you just said, Aaron, that like Qantas and Air New Zealand, just do it right. Again, it's kind of in their DNA too. And it is, it's going to cost maybe, you know, five to 10 grand, I think for a round trip business class seat, but even their economy seats are comfy. They're comfy. Even the economy is better than other. It's all in all, it's, it's fine. They do a great job of making it less terrible than it could be because <laughs> I, I flew of... american airlines to australia and not not as great <laughs> <laughs> oh actually one of the last times i went on because american is co-chair with Qantas, and i was on an american airlines flight that was being run by Qantas, and i and i have to say actually i thought it was really comfortable yeah yeah i had an american airlines crew so <laughs> <laughs> well, sorry american <laughs> oh yeah Step it up, American. It sounds like the way you guys are presenting it, that one should think about this trip, particularly if one is from the U.S., as kind of a a big deal, right? Like you need to take the two weeks. You want to maybe splurge on, you know, a better flight than you might normally do. And I'm wondering how I should think about that two-week period. If I'm going from a high level, is it going to be two weeks in Sydney? Is it going to be a week in Sydney and a week doing something else. What, how well, should I think, I think about the first it? thing you should realize is that you're going to be wrecked for about three days, two, three no. days. No, no, not yes. with the not Dreamliner. Maybe not if you're flying business <laughs> class. American Airlines <laughs> with an American yes, Airlines. Yes, if you're flying crew. American Airlines yeah. economy. Hey, um, the scenarios we're just getting into the first, here, here comes Seb again, <laughs> the consummate podcast complainer about how to do everything. But yes, of course, the business class thing. But I have to say, last time I flew on the Dreamliner that was going from, it's the same type of distance, so it doesn't matter. I went from LA to Auckland and they had the new, um, pressurized cabin that's supposed to fight jet lag and I am constantly skeptical of this type of stuff. I did not no, have a help. lot of jet lag. You guys didn't let me finish oh, my that points. that totally works. I totally think well, that's Yeah, no, I think it works too but I didn't finish my point. My point <laughs> was not going to my point was not going to be like stay in your hotel bed for three days and then get going. My point would be like <laughs> in designing an itinerary maybe don't be like okay, I'm going to do I'm going to fly into Sydney and have one day there and then go to Melbourne and then come back to Sydney later and all this if Sydney's your destination, I'd give yourself like a good four days at least there to start off because you're not going to be your best self for at least the first day or two. I do like the idea of starting in Sydney. The alternative is you start in Melbourne, but this is a podcast about Sydney. Yeah, Sydney is a great entry point. It's one of the biggest cities. It's one of the most cosmopolitan. If you are used to a California city like San Francisco or LA, you might see some similarities in the way that Sydney is on the water. You know, it's healthy, it's fit. Everyone seems to be a surf for chef hybrid or something and there you can take ferries bouncing from beach to beach that are all part of the city proper and that's very much an experience there and would you start in Sydney or Melbourne? Um, I well, I would only ever start in the city that your airline flies you into. To Seb's point, I think Seb's point is a good one that once you land after that long flight, yeah, stick around for a few days because we're talking about Sydney. I would say I would say this. 
assume you're going for two weeks. Assume this is the beginning of a holiday that's going to last two weeks. But also, don't be so naive as to assume this is the only time you're going to be down there. So don't be overly ambitious with the way we travel, with all of the new flight itineraries that are coming out and all of the competitive airfare that, that means for the consumers. It's so much easier to get to Australia and New Zealand than you think it is. It's just as easy to get there as it would be to get to Rome these days. And I'm not exaggerating. So book yourself for two weeks, but don't be overly ambitious. And I would say Sydney should deserve, I would say Sydney gets four to five days of that yeah, two weeks. I would agree. Well, wouldn't you want to do it? I don't know. I just did that overnight to Pretty Beach House up on the central coast. It's about an hour and a half away. And it was outstanding. It was one of those like resorts of a lifetime kind of places. Um, it's within a national park that has a lot of rich Aboriginal history. There were stones with rock carvings just outside the resort and you get beaches to yourself and it's an hour and a half from the city right that sounds so, like a great place to wear off some jet lag no no sorry <laughs> not this no <laughs> not no i agree um no this place pretty beach sounds amazing i just i i i I reckon you land in Sydney, you stay in Sydney. And in a black book too, and also I'm sure we'll get into this later in the podcast, there's all types of places you can access in Australia, Pretty Beach House being one of them or that type of an experience being one of them that you can hop to from Sydney. So um, week right. two is, we'll talk about well, those yeah, kinds so of maybe things. Week I one you stay in New South Wales, right? That is the state that Sydney is in. Okay. So you start out in the city itself for a couple of days, but definitely get out, whether it's to the coast to wine country, depending on what your interests are, right? But there's some it's mountains. And there mountains. There's gorgeous, like I don't know, the area around cities all about nature, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, like I said, everyone's so active and outdoorsy; they really prioritize that. So there's just a ton of things you can do. You don't so want to have a sedentary vacation, right? Okay, so you compared it to California cities, maybe Vancouver, um, in the Cape sense Town too. Cape, Cape Town. Cape Town. Okay, yeah. fair enough. How am I thinking about my time in Sydney? What is the character of the city? Like if you step back away from it. So the way we always tend to characterize it, mostly because this is the best way to characterize it, is Sydney is that quintessential lifestyle city where you can sort of, I hate to use this phrase, but live your best life. The food is that much fresher, that much better. The sun is that much warmer. The beaches are that much cleaner. Um, the urban vibe and sort of the cosmopolitan urbanite trend set is still there. I mean, you have to really think of Sydney. Yes, it's the biggest city in Australia. Sydney's really the a regional leader for that part of the globe. Um, you know, in a very real way, it's the biggest city in terms of trends and sort of industry news for parts of South and Southeast Asia, definitely New Zealand and the rest of Oceania. So there's a lot happening in Sydney, but never at the sacrifice of going there just for beaches, just for the weather, just for the food. So it's, it's sort of like, if you could sort of envelop all the things you like best about a city you would want to live in, mm -hmm. Sydney's the city you want to live in. Oh, I go every time I go back, I pick a neighborhood and I'm like, I'm going to live in that flat right there, you know, with that wrought iron fence. It looks like something out of New Orleans, but it's in Surrey Hills, right? It's actually, it's a big enough city that it is like New York. It is very neighborhood specific, I think. And the city is so big and so packed with people now that the government's actually thinking about making it into three separate cities. Ooh. There's a West western part of it near the airport that is becoming more of a more lived in um a lot of people are commuting in and out so what will sydney look like a year from now it may have three separate you know zip codes but i think where you start you most likely start if you're first time you're somewhere near the cbd the harbor park, Hyde Hyde. park and, yeah, yeah exactly so forgive the naive question but 
and reductive question, but does it feel Euro? Does it feel Asian? Does it feel like, what does it it feel like? Honestly, it feels Australian. And I think like Australia is a strong enough global influencer that you can say that. I think you can get into Melbourne and be like, oh, well, this has, like San Francisco, like this has sort of European vibe or sort of like, there's something about Sydney that is so quintessentially wonderfully Australian that that to me is how it feels. And if I have to compare it to other cities, LA, Miami, those are the comparisons. It's more the America side than the Europe side, I would I would imagine. That oh, I, yeah, I, that's interesting. I really. feel a strong Asian vibe when I'm in the Central Business District, Circular Quay. Like I, it is still very much part, it's, people call it Australasia often. Um, and it is, like Australia is diverse, despite it feeling not. Part of their government plan was to make it uh, multicultural. It was a multicultural policy to kind of fight white Australia policy, which existed in the 50s and 60s. We don't need to talk about that too much. I don't know that they want to, but it was great emphasis on bringing immigrants in from places beyond Western Europe, which is where it started. So there is a decent Asian influence here. But like you said, Aaron, it's Australia. Yeah, it's it's and, and the Asian influence is like awesome in the food. I mean, Sydney's Chinatown is one of the greatest Chinatowns in the world. The dumplings think, in Chinatown. Are so I think good. what you're saying though is a good point yeah. though that there is a cultural affinity I yep. think between the United States and Australia, mm-hmm. and I think it's why a lot of Americans do feel at home in a city like Sydney. Just there's, it's it's hard to put your finger on why. It, I mean, it's it's not like necessarily the same, mm-hmm. but it's just like. The transition is an easy one, I feel it, like, from that, a major American city to a major Australian city. And that's why I think it goes back to what we said earlier. You're going to Sydney because really the selling point of it is the best version of urban living that you can imagine. Mm. That is kind of why you go to Sydney. And mm-hmm. it's worth it because it's so they so nail it. Yeah, yeah the, the green space, the, the beaches, the, the drink, the, you know, the bars, the restaurants, the harbor, you know, okay. all of that. Laura, you mentioned neighborhoods and going back and visiting different neighborhoods. Is this a neighborhood city? Like, not all cities, it it doesn't matter that much in all cities, but in some it really does. Is this one of those? I think so. I think they're distinctive. They're not massive. You know, it might just be like eight by eight blocks, but they have very distinctive personalities. I think, like I said, most people often see the... Central Business District, Circular Quay, which is where a lot of museums and the Royal Botanic Gardens are. You have the Rocks, which is the historic part of the city with old colonial buildings. But then just south of that, you've got Surrey Hills, Paddington, Darlinghurst. Those are places that I was at on my last trip a few months ago. Where do you go when you go? Yeah, no, I mean, exactly what Laura said. I think, you know, Circular Key is you got to do it. You got to take the box. That's also where there are opera houses, most importantly. And the Rocks has an amazing food market. And it's where you're going to get great oysters. I mean, even my friends that live in Sydney, you know, who could not care less about going anywhere touristy, they will still go to the Rocks for a meal. Is there an inland versus waterfront kind of you start on the waterfront kind of and then move inland circular key is the waterfront and then you've got these great areas like surrey hill which for the past probably i'd say i remember being in surrey hills maybe 10 years ago and it was sort of that was the cool part of sydney and it still very much is but it's kind of spreading a little bit but surrey hills is like a 15 minute walk from the waterfront but it feels very inland next to that you've got paddington like laura mentioned which is really phenomenal right now for the food the restaurants are fantastic yeah the restaurants there are really taking off there's a great fashion design scene in paddington and then and i don't want to jump too far ahead 
But, you know, this is where Sydney really feels like L.A. to me. You've got that quintessential suburb or neighborhood that you should really just spend a whole day and overnight in, which is Bondi. Like mm. Bondi mm. is like what Venice is to L.A., Bondi is to Sydney. It's mm-hmm. its own entity. Interesting. You know? That's a helpful comparison. Mm-hmm. I, I understand what you mean when you say that. Bondi is on the it's a beach. water as well. Oh, right? yeah. yeah. Beautiful you, beach. You cross, basically, if you're in Circular Quay, you take a ferry just north over the water. I forget what the name of the body of water is, but you've got Bondi Beach is the biggest beach, and then Manly Beach is the next biggest. And they, I'm not. I can't go to Manly Beach. How come? Not manly enough. <laughs> That's the, the my. You I don't said know, this. Was my it taxi the, driver? No, my guy driving me around that. said that um, places are named very literally. Yes, so, that's right. I remember yeah, you talking about this. Manly Beach was allegedly named because the British settler who visited it saw a number of manly men standing on it, and so Manly Beach. This is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Can't go. Nope. Not, gotta gotta work okay. out more. Sorry, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. You mentioned ferries and kind of bouncing around on ferries. Is that a viable way to get around? Yeah, it's actually super fun. And I think that's one of the great, one of my greatest memories as a teenager going to Sydney was like catching ferries to go to Manly, which actually isn't, it's it's something you have to catch the ferry to get to Manly. You can't, like Bondi you can drive to, but it's a different part of the peninsula. And the Tauranga Zoo, I don't know if you went to the mm-hmm. Tauranga Zoo in your last time, zoo. but it's the, one of the best zoos in the world and you catch the ferry to get there. Even it's if super the zoo is creepy out, like you should it's go. A good yeah. zoo. It's, it's a good one. They, yeah. they, do things like that well. They are very environmentally conscious. They are conscious of their critters, you know. I mean, you also just see kangaroos on the side of the highway when you're driving along. You know, like they're like deer. You're not going to see a kangaroo in Sydney on the, a wild kangaroo, though. People, I just want to make. If some, you're road tripping, if you're road tripping not, outside, not, of Sydney. yeah, outside maybe of Sydney. it was more a Melbourne thing. I saw maybe. Melbourne on golf courses all the time. Yeah, just don't go because I remember my grandparents asked me. They're like, "Well, we see kangaroos when we go to Sydney." I'm like, "You just no, it's not like it's not that <laughs> not like hopping around the opera. <laughs> like, you speaking. will, you will see a shitload of bats though everywhere in Sydney. Do you remember how? many bats there are just no, hanging yeah. out. Oh my God. I was like, where in the garden? In the botanical gardens, everywhere, just f- creepy flocks, hundreds and hundreds of bats. No, oh man. yeah. Um, but you were talking about also sharks, but anyway. <laughs> 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 yeah, hanging in the botanical gardens. Buzzkills. <laughs> um, talking really about fairies and stuff and that Sydney is another of those, you hear this kind of, this said of a lot of kind of coastal cities that face or embrace the water around them versus turn away from it. But Sydney... I've heard many people just say about Sydney that it's a city best seen from the water. And taking those ferries is, is one way to do that. Oh, that's um, cool. Yeah, that's a nice idea. Because that's really when you really get the scope of the skyline and you really understand the way that it has turned towards the water versus, you know, a city like even New York, you could argue, has kind of turned away from it. Even right? well, like, Rio historically tends yeah. to There's turn a new away from fast the water. ferry that goes from downtown Sydney to Manly Beach that I took. And I, I feel like I was there in 20 minutes or something. Yeah, 15 minutes they yeah. say it takes. Okay, so I want to ask you guys about, you know, I want to get listy for a second, if I can. And I want to ask about a couple of different tiers of things. First, what are the sort of like, they're touristy, but you got to do them. What are those things? Should we go Sydney? in a circle? Darling Harbor. Yeah. What? <laughs> the harbor. You just Darling, Darling, you just, Darling Harbor. Darling Harbor. <laughs> Darling Harbor. He's doing um, the accent. Yeah. Did it, how did he do That was really bad. Florio, how did you do? <laughs> that was like a Boston accent. Yeah, Darling that, that sounded a little more Boston. very much sounded like, like Do I have to go up with it? Darling Harbor? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> right. um, that was squeaky. <laughs> <laughs> that was squeaky Boston. Uh, nah, nah, that was good. That Thanks. Was good. Thanks. Um, <laughs> what is okay, that? Darling Harbor. What's Darling Harbor? It's just the it's the waterfront development. It's the kind of boardwalks there, the 
Sydney Eye. Is it called the Sydney Eye? That, well, the, the, circu- the circular key is on Darling Harbor. Yeah, so circular, circular key, key with the that, Opera House, the Botanical it's Gardens. It's that whole section of development around the water, and it's yeah. it's definitely worth an afternoon walk through. I think you've it's right. So it's, I, it's, I, like, I you think you do, do an afternoon in the Botanic Gardens, Botanical Gardens. You can also do an Aboriginal walk and learn a little bit about their culture. Uh, their guided tours there. I think you walk from there. I think you get tickets to the Opera House. You. Try to see a show if you can. I mean, it's one of the best venues in the world for that. And just on that note, if you can't, go inside regardless. Yeah, Don't think the totally. best photos oh. are taken from outside. Because oh, inside the Opera House, they have beautiful. They have Le Cabossier, um wall hangings. Uh. They have beautiful interiors, beautiful design. So I think you, so t- did you, talk, you talked well, about that, I talk about, about right? it in the Black Book. Yeah, it's really worth It's not only to be seen from the outside. Go inside even if you don't have tickets. Great it, tip. You can get a, a great drink there, too. There's some wonderful spots for like a... Without a ticket, without oh, having yeah, a ticket. Yeah, yeah, with for waterside drinks there and at the Park Hyatt Sydney. They both have beautiful views and you can have a really nice cocktail. And then if you walk along to the rocks, again, like Aaron was saying, you can get a great meal or maybe you do you walk through the markets a little bit. There's a pub. I think I forget what the name of it was, but it was like 100 years old or something. It's, you know, Australia's heritage only goes back to the late 1700s. So it's not, you know, it's not European. It's on America's old. timeline. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's on that, America's that's timeline. That's a good comparison. That's yeah. another reason for the yeah. affinity, right? Right. Mm-hmm. New world. Mm-hmm. Okay, Darling Harbor, and then over to the Rocks, and the, the Opera House being, you know, on that list. What else is on that list? You have to do Bondi, obviously. Mm. I mean, that is a massive tourist attraction, but it's a massive local attraction as well. I mean, Sydney Siders will spend whole weekends, their whole day, out at Bondi. And when I was talking to a lot of people, a lot of the tastemakers that live in Sydney for this Black Book, because we always, you know, sort of pepper in local knowledge, and when we put these Black Books together on everyone's list was Bondi. And I have a lot of friends and my sister has a lot of friends and I have a lot of sort of connections to people that have lived in Sydney for years and Bondi and to a lesser extent Manly, that's still where people go. You have to go swimming in the rock pools, which mm-hmm. are these natural pools. At Bondi? At Bondi and they have met Manly too. They're kind of all over they the city. They have them all over the coast. Um, they're these outdoor public pools built into, I don't know, walls, literally They are the coolest walls. looking they're things. They're the coolest looking thing ever. Yeah, they're filled with ocean water, but they're treated and they're formed the way like they've been shaped manually by uh, as pools, but they're filled with ocean water. So you get like the way, you, and I'm sure everyone has seen the, the classic image of icebergs in Bondi, their yeah. they're, they're rock pool, but mm-hmm. you get like the crashing waves and the ocean splashing into the pool and the people, it's just so iconically Sydney. I did this, um, sorry. No, Sarah. go ahead. No, I love talking. Um, I did this bike ride around Manly and my guide was telling me, that, um, you know, you just get up in the morning for a quick swim. And he pointed out people swimming. They were swimming from the shore of Manly through, like, riptides, you know, crazy waves. It's just a casual... They're manly. They are. No, it was... It's so impressive, like, their dedication to uh, fitness. and But that's the culture. You go surfing, you go swimming, you do it year-round. How definitive is surfing at Bondi? Thor surfs there. So, the, so no, he, oh. surf, he surfs north, <laughs> north of there. Yeah, so I was going to say, so, so. Oh, Byron. Well, okay, Byron is you. outside of Sydney. Yeah. Okay, that, okay. That's too, too, a uh, good two hour drive from Sydney, okay. two or three hours. But, um, so Bondi's good. Thor gets Bondi around. has good. You, I think it's the north shore of Bondi that you want to go, or the north point. But the true surfers will go to the beaches that are sort of climb north from Bondi. So Bondi also has this great walk called the Bondi de Bronte coastal walk. I think it's about two miles long, but it brings you to another beach. 
And at that beach, there's a lot of really good surfing. And it's better if you're actually a hardcore surfer because there's less swimmers in the water. But then that coastline sort of carries on forever. And there's all of these, like this whole wealth of beaches that you can choose from. We actually do have a, a very, very brief uh, decoder on these beaches in Black Book this month. But surfing in Sydney is like, I mean, you're born in the water, essentially. Yeah, yeah. I, I would not go on my first trip, necessarily. I don't know. Did you do any of that on your surfing? trip? Surfing? Yeah. No, I, don't, I just don't know how to surf. <laughs> <laughs> if I knew how to surf, I might have. Oh, and also riptides and sharks are no joke, like said yeah. mentioned before. And um, Bondi, I don't know if you guys are familiar, but there's this great show called Bondi Surf <laughs> Rescue or something like that. I have a friend who's one of those rescuers. Oh, that's, yeah, did yeah. you say he, he, I mean, it's, it is no joke. And they, Peep, they lifeguarding was born on these beaches. Yeah, it's no joke. So swim between the red and yellow flags, Always, people. Yes. Always. It's there for a reason. Not, another, not a place to be a hero. Another attraction, though, that I, I want to Wait, call can I out. just ask a question about the beach? Sure. Since we're at the beach. <laughs> Are the beaches public? Are the rock pools public? Like, what's the situation? So anybody can access them, but I think, for the, for example, the one at Icebergs, there are people that have memberships, and I don't quote me on this. I think they get priority, but if you don't have a membership, you can pay to use the rock pool for okay. the day or for a few hours or whatever it is. So it's not like you have to be staying at a particular no. you know, hotel or something. You can a, a person like me could actually get into them. Correct. Okay. Sorry, um, so. Another kind of tourist attraction, but also just a Sydney attraction, I think. And it's a small one, but I do really think it's pretty awesome and that's Hyde Park which I mentioned briefly earlier it's small it's nothing like crazy impressive in terms of it's no central park but it's pretty much smack in the middle of the CBD and it's pretty remarkable I don't know if this has to do with the landscape architecture involved or something but you just you walk into it and it's like everything goes quiet you're in the middle of the CBD and then all of a sudden it's like utter serenity it's amazing it's beautiful Um, and it's really well done really well manicured the fountains um, there's like is it St. James's Church is right at the end of it, which is this kind of very grand Georgian architecture uh, building. Um, and then just south of the cathedral on the edge of the park is Art Gallery New South Wales, which is fantastic. They have a great exhibit on right now. Um, I believe it's on now through September or it's wrapping at the end of the month. It's called the Archibald Prize, which is the region's best portrait work landscape. Um, it has crazy great modern art and it's the kind of museum where you could spend an entire sunny day and not really feel guilty about it. It's kind of like going to the Met. Um, I was chewed out by a lady I was talking to there when I told her I only had an hour to spend. She's like, no way. She's like, you have to go to the, you don't go to the Met for just an hour. You need to spend a day. And I believe her. So. I actually think going to the Met for an hour is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> we all do. Sorry, a little Nobody's already. admitting it, but everybody else does too. I think it's the perfect amount of time, actually. <laughs> More than that, and you're just like, eh, too much culture. <laughs> I'm sorry. That sounds great. It's fantastic. There's also really good galleries in Sydney, too. Wentworth Galleries. I almost bought a Is piece it a culture of town? Got an opera uh, house? Like, is not, the opera, like, not in the way that Melbourne is. Melbourne's very much a culture town with its street art, its museums, its music scene is killer. Um, I don't know. Sydney is more active. I think more outdoorsy. Yeah, Sydney's more outdoorsy. In the it's in the most simplified way. Think of it as New York versus LA for culture. Uh-huh. Like I know that there's okay. more to it, but like you want to be outside when you're in Sydney. You just really, really do. Like the weather and the beaches call your name nonstop. Um, it's easier to stay inside, and that's not to, uh, easier to stay inside in a place like Melbourne, where, where the weather's a little temperamental, and New York. Um, but that's not to say there aren't good galleries. They have this really, really amazing gallery, which came up a lot when I was speaking to people when I was doing my research on this article 
called the White Rabbit Gallery. It's in oh, Chippendale. I love that place. So that's a great gallery. And there's also the, is it the Contemporary Museum of Australia? I think it is. It's MCA? in Sydney. I can't remember. It's the Muse- uh, Museum of Contemporary Art. That's also yes. in Darling Harbour, mm-hmm. um, which has great sort of, uh, you know, Aboriginal artworks, has great sort of contemporary Australian artists showing. Okay. So I, it's got stuff if you're looking for I did for a really it. good walking tour of Chippendale and Redfern. Chippendale is where White Rabbit is. There's a lot going on in Chippendale, There's right? There's a ton, yeah. yeah. They have the Hotel Old Clare, which was on our hot list, what, two years ago? We have a video about the Old Clare. We do. Yeah. And Check it out. You can see. It has a little thing called Spice Lane, which is meant to evoke... Um, the like kind of hawker stalls of Sydney or little places in Indonesia where you get like spicy curry and that's open air. There's a good wine bar and there's this gallery. And then Redfern is where um, a lot of Aboriginal families have lived for a long time. It's slowly gentrifying, um, but there are there's great antique shops, galleries, cafes in that neighborhood as well. And I, the walking tour took us, it's called, I think it was called, oh, they're going to hate me because I can't remember it off the top of my head, but culture tours. And it was a dedicated like three hour walk. It was really good. Anything else that is kind of like that iconic sort of thing that we've missed? Yeah. Yeah. You really... <laughs> Sorry. Give it. Shall you, shall, shall, will, will you tell me? The answer is yes. Yeah. You should really... It's so touristy and everyone that flies into Sydney wants to eat there, but you should do a meal at Benelong, which is the beautiful restaurant inside the Opera House. Mm. It's just a classic. Okay. Right. It's a classic. It's like yeah, telling somebody house. to go to the Union's, uh, the Grand Central Oyster Bar or something. The- oh, you need to... You just need to eat. All right, wait. Chinese food. Just, we'll just get them hold to that. on. Yo, Fine. hold on. Hold on. <laughs> who's, who's the host here? At least today. Um, okay, so then take it one level deeper. What are the things that are not so touristy but are really amazing that people should check out, that I specifically should check out? Sure. So going back to this concept that Sydney really is just like the city with the best lifestyle in the world. You know, it's not necessarily you're there for the sites. You are there just for how people live. Go spend a day in Surrey Hills. It's really fun. It's really cool. It sort of hits on those best facets of Sydney with, you know, really great cafes where you're going to have killer coffee, killer brunches. What's Um, it look like? Surrey Hills. It has this beautiful, it is like the most beautiful neighborhood to walk around in despite like the sort of hipster inklings now, but it's Victorian architecture, beautifully painted house fronts, and just this wealth of sort of flowers and flora and bloom everywhere. So it's really beautiful. Like, and that's just sort of a, that's just a byproduct of it being in Sydney. Mm-hmm. Sydney is very, has a lot of really, really beautiful flora everywhere, which it doesn't get yeah. enough credit for considering how it's a city of 7 million people. I should have asked you this, but what's the weather like? Oh, beautiful. beautiful. Oh my God. Winter? Is it pretty steady all year? Yeah, yes. it's hot it gets in hot their in the summer. summer. But, you know, in the winter, my friends, I have a lot of friends that live in Sydney. I know a lot of people that live in Sydney. And right now, which is their winter, they're on Bondi posting at the beach, you know. Yeah, it was 60 when I was there for their winter. Okay. It's very temperate. So you can kind of visit any time of year, which is the great thing. And that's why it's a great starting point that no matter when your vacation is, you're probably like a great time to visit, which is when a lot of people visit, unfortunately, is the like December holiday, December, January. But, you know, I was there for a week in May, and it was fantastic. 
the last time I was there, I was there like six months ago. I remember just taking so many photos and being like, wow, I didn't even remember. The jacaranda trees if are you, so beautiful. They're you get beautiful out, and purple. I wouldn't say like go visit the suburbs if you're in Sydney, but if you do go, which I did because I went to go visit the home that I lived in as a child, the gardens that you see are just mm. unreal. Mm -hmm. Like the just the diversity and the colors and the... It's, I mean, I don't know what I'm talking about because I don't know nothing about flowers, but it's very pretty. No, it's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty. Many colors. The, the very only, pretty. The only pretty. thing I've seen like that was um, Cape Town, Stellenbosch. Mm -hmm, yeah. Is it or Stellenbosch? no, Kirstenbosch. No. Kirstenbosch. What yeah. is Stellenbosch? Is Stellenbosch that's the is wine the wine region. Town. Thank wine you. Country. Yes. yes. Kirstenbosch is the Cape Town. Also gardens. very pretty. Yeah. Also very pretty. Pretty. <laughs> is there a tradition of gardens there? Like, did they inherit that from England? Sure. Is that lingering? I mean, I think it's probably a mix of like. I think it's just like shit grows. I think it's like. Like shit grows there on steroids. Have yeah. you seen the type of things that can kill you? And it's people. You know, kangaroos are derived from rabbits. Look how steroid crazy that <laughs> rabbit went in Australia. Imagine how the flowers grow there. <laughs> That's the case. Like, yeah, shit grows crazy in Australia. Okay. All right. Yeah, Australia's like, hey, cool spider. Ours will kill you in four seconds. <laughs> oh, no, those are no joke. I was there no. with a. There's a lot of no, no joking here. Like, how much do I need Australia to train? Australia is extreme. I feel like Australia train. will kill you. If you, it see, a, kill if you, you. see a creature, do a small not approach creature it. in Australia, assume it will kill you in under 10 seconds. Yes. Yeah, we're not being funny. Yeah. This is f now we're getting to the fun oh. part of the podcast. No, he, he I got bit. Hear about he went to the hospital. By what? A spider in a his spider. bed in, oh, I like don't want to. Big spider? He never saw big? it, but he was pretty a sure. Stealth spider. Stealth spider, and his foot blew up <gasps> to like twice its size, and it turned kind of black, and he had to go to the hospital. So remember, some of the most dangerous creatures in did the he world keep the foot? live in Australia. He did, thankfully. He okay. is an influencer still. He can do his job. Oh, um, God. But okay, wait, back to Surrey. I don't know whether to be happy or sad about that. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, just getting back to your original question about what do you do that layer deeper? I mean, Surrey Hills, I reckon, is, you know, if you go to Sydney now, a lot of the Sydney siders will tell you, no, Surrey Hills is kind of over. The next place we're going to is Paddington. And there's a lot of good stuff to do in Paddington, but it's sort of the, in the same way that New Yorkers will tell out of town, oh, Williamsburg is so over. You need to go to another part of Brooklyn. The reality is that a tourist will be most impressed oh, with Williamsburg yes. still. We are you know? not. So it, it's, it's sort of in that part. vein. But like, yeah. Like, yeah, no, but you, a tourist would still get the most out of Williamsburg. Yeah. Yeah. They would. You'd still think oh, it's cool. it, 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 no, they I'm would. agreeing with you. Yeah. So Surrey Hills is just that kind of neighborhood to go hang out and mm -hmm. see the other, you know, the cool sort of young tattooed creatives in Sydney. Well, I used to think that no one in Sydney wore black, right? Because I was hanging out more in the, like, tourist area. And then you get out and all of a sudden I'm staying at Paramount House Hotel, which has the Paramount Coffee Project in its lobby, which is as cool as the hotel. There's a movie theater attached to it. There's a fantastic gym up on the top roof. And everyone was in black with like really severe glasses. And they were talking about the art exhibit at Art Gallery New South Wales, which is how I heard about it. So it is hip in a way that I'm not. And that street itself is also fantastic. You could, my first day, we're talking about jet lag, right? I get there, I check into the Paramount House. I take a two-hour power nap, and then I go eat at Chin Chin across the street, which just opened in the last six months, which is a really great Thai restaurant. It's the second outlet. Uh, the first one opened in Melbourne. And it's just super buzzy, oh, yeah. and it's whitewashed on the inside. And the menu is the kind of place where you have, like, a $20 cocktail. Fun fact, we'll get into this, too. Cocktails are really expensive in Sydney, and there's weird lockout laws that mean you can't drink past 11, 12 p.m. If, if you try to bar hop, this is not you a bar hop city. You keep skipping ahead. I know. But what anyway. do you want to talk about? Do we want to talk about the lockout laws now? 
We should. It's like we will really eventually because it really. It's I have a bone to pick with it. Um, but she wants to set up a fight. All right, fine. Mm-hmm. But that block itself, and then there's also another Thai restaurant called Long Green there as well. You could hang out on that block for a day, which I did. And then you venture out, you go a couple more blocks. But also doing day trips, you know, um, up the coast to some of the beaches that are beyond Bondi and um, outside of Manly as well. If you just rent a car, which is super easy to do, or a lot of them are accessed also by ferry, so just look into it. Go up to these towns that are still within the Sydney city limits that are on the coast because they ha- just have a really, really great beach sort of culture they've got great beach bars like the type of places you want to hang out in and drink all day but they've got beautiful beautiful untouched beaches just it's just a really really wonderful glimpse of sort of like that more diluted sydney lifestyle as opposed to the stuff that you're going to get more congested in the center but it's really accessible and like we keep saying i mean you're not going to sydney because that's where the eiffel tower is you're going to sydney because of this lifestyle that's so accessible from the city limits so like really embrace that and lean into it when you're there. Left or right driving? Left. Oh, the yeah, the other side of the road. Commonwealth. Okay. So talk to me about food. What is the food situation? So food in Australia has, I mean, for the past 20 years, been super, super great. Melbourne's always sort of worn the crown. Uh, Sydney, I'd say in the past five years, and this isn't new, but Sydney has really gained on Melbourne, in some ways really overtaken Melbourne. Um, you know, Ooh, that's bold. It you is think? bold. Yeah, I think it's true. I mean, I'm not an expert and people will definitely disagree with me on this, but in terms of, I felt, I felt. Melbourne sort of rested on its laurels for a little bit mm. and Sydney really sort of overtook it. It had a little bit more ambition and I think that's just the, the Sydney way as well. I think Sydney does have a little bit more sort of fire Which, in its belly. And ambition almost isn't allowed culturally yeah. too. I mean, there's yeah. the tall poppy syndrome oh, where you're not trying yeah. to stand above the And field. that's another reason why Sydney is more like America and Melbourne and yeah, New Zealand as well point. are more like Europe. There's tall also, poppy syndrome. There's a, um, a group called Merivale Group in Sydney that owns like Everything. 32 restaurants and bars. It's crazy. And um, three of my favorite meals were through Merivale Group. This is not like a paid for plug. This is straight up. Fred's in Paddington with the bar Charlie Parker's beneath it. Oh, Charlie yeah. Parker's is a speakeasy. I went to that speakeasy. It was great. It was great. Yeah. And it was like an adult fun speakeasy. Yeah. I didn't feel like I was going to get like spit on when yeah. I walked in. And it wasn't like, it didn't feel gimmicky that- either. Yeah, no, yeah. not at all. Um, no, don't, don't bother with it. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and then um, Work in Progress, which was a little um, kind of quick dumpling place in the Central Business District on King Street by, I want to say, Eric Coe. It was awesome. And you can go all hours of the day and sit in like a really ratty leather couch. You feel like you're in the East Village in this place. And the dumplings and fried rice, they're just fantastic. And authentic is an awful word, but closely authentic. And then... Bert's Brasserie up in, um, I want to say Newport near Manly Beach was brand new. And you get a beautiful view of the water and you get like a French bistro with really, really fresh seafood and charcuterie and great wine and incredible service. You just feel good. So I'm just going to deconstruct food very quickly for Sydney right now. So the thing is why Sydney food is so good or why the eating culture there I think is so good is because it has all of these different tiers that you should definitely tap. First of all, you can't ignore the success and then the global influence of the Sydney cafe culture. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, Bill's, Bill Granger, who is like a pioneer in Sydney. I mean, his brand is all over the world at this point. If you go to his place in Bondi, it's been there for 20, 30 years. There's still lines way out the door. There's still no better place to get breakfast. And what is that like? So it's, it, I don't know if you've ever been to Two Hands in New York yes. or any of those types of places that are sweeping LA, Miami, London. Where avo Toast? At the avocado. Uh, classic avo- yeah, the classic example from, right? is the avocado toast that, you know, the, the, flat, the archival. Well, flat. Mm. Well, that's a Melbourne thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a thing. thing. Just hold on. Oh, it's a New Zealand thing? <laughs> it's All a dispute. Right. Oh. But <laughs> she's never maybe mind. not the right never person. Mind. But, no, no, no. But, no the, but, the, but the point is, I mean, I, I, is, the point is the cafe culture is so, so strong. And the cafe culture that we've come to embrace, you know, fuck Starbucks, the cafe culture we've come to embrace in America and over in Europe, that new wave of cafe, that's all started in Australia. And yes, Melbourne absolutely played a part. A lot of it is in Sydney. So you go there for that reason. So that's one reason. So is that they, taking they have, it past coffee? It's taking it past coffee to the point where it's... Even brunch. I mean, like the, the kind of like the... The creative take on brunch and stuff like that, I feel like Australia pioneered. Yeah, it's substantial plates that are healthful, that are big, that are delicious, that you feel good about eating. Like, it, Are they heavy on the veg? Is no, it, no, I feel, no. I mean, I had ricotta hotcakes at Bill's, which is kind of an iconic the, dish. It was unreal. You know, it's the kind of meal you leave. You're like, can, we had breakfast and then we ordered ricotta hotcakes because we saw the person next to us get them and said, gotta get that. Are you kidding? I was already full of eggs and I had to have it. So, yeah, and, and ricotta, like that put Bill's on the map. I think he started like with one burner in like a back alley somewhere just making pancakes and then it led to what the you know his empire is now but um so there's there's the cafe culture which absolutely shouldn't be ignored and then you have we don't have to go into this in too much detail but speaking to laura's point earlier about all the immigrants that come through now what we call dim sum they call yum cha and yum cha is like absolutely a thing in sydney like everybody on a sunday morning goes for yum cha and they sit at these great places in chinatown and like disperse throughout the rest of sydney mm-hmm. and they have like the world's best yum cha outside of hong kong singapore or hong kong yeah or- totally no totally i agree yeah and is it the same way? Like the carts come through? Yeah, and, they yep. do it the old and, school and, way. And they're yeah. all they're all fresh off the boat. I mean, they're yeah. all it's all very very authentic. And then you have, I I always I, I I've said in the past writer and chief Pilar like you know you've got New York chefs and you've got London chefs. The third city in the world where people might know the name of the chefs really is Sydney. People know Bill Granger. People know Kylie Kwong. You know they yeah. know these names, and they have had these are such, global names. These are global names, and they've had such an influence on the food scene in Sydney. And now you and so you've got these great great dinner places that are really like embracing that fresh clean. Uh, of course, local way of eating. And now we've got these new wave of chefs, one of which is this lady named Danielle Alvarez, who's at Fred's, which is where Laura said she'd eaten before. You've got Matt Lindsay, who cooked me one of the best meals of my life at his restaurant oh, named Esther. He's also, yeah. he's doing the restaurant in Paramount House Hotel. He's, such, he's a great guy, super young. And this guy, Josh Nealon, who does um, St. Peter's, which is this like pilgrims will come and eat the fish at this restaurant it is it's also in paddington and it's like fantastic so you really have this wave of chefs that are doing people that even new yorkers would want to get on a plane and 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 taste what they're doing so so there's all these layers and tiers to the food scene in sydney which is like a reason to go we credit california with this like locavore movement call and movement it is how sydney ciders live they were and always have first. Been. Yeah, it's like avocado toast is exciting because it's really fresh avocado and really good bread. That's just what they ate. It's just normal to yeah, eat that. Yeah, exactly. So I feel like that's where it started, not Venice. 
And it did not start in Venice in California. Where did it but start? But that's another in, in Berkeley. Oh, all oh, right. but yeah, uh, it's. I was. <laughs> I mean, you were also raised for a couple of years in Sydney. I was raised in New Zealand. We had a avocado toast was standard. So, like, when right. five years ago in America thought they invented it, I was like, no, you people are so young. I'm talking about the 1970s before you were born. <laughs> Please. Anyway, anyway, you were, okay. you were different like podcast. Baby, yeah. different but then, podcast. but then also, you know, the flip side of that is never, ever, ever pass up the opportunity. You or you should always do this once: get fish and chips and eat on the beach. That is a classic Australian activity. So, like, and are there fish and chips different from British, or is it basically the same no, thing? Same idea. <laughs> okay, it's and great. I'm just wondering, like, they, they bread it lighter. Like, it seems like it's a more healthy environment. Maybe they have a different approach. There, I mean, there'll I'll, be a ma- sorry. Go ahead. I mean, it's a healthy environment, but you like Australians like to indulge too. Yeah. You know, they'll yeah. drink a lot of beer. They'll, yeah. they'll like go out for, a, for a cheeky drinkers. Hungry Jacks, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and right. I'm sorry, what is this Hungry Jacks place you It's uh, just direct, transparent ripoff of Burger King. <laughs> or rather, it is Burger King, but they couldn't get the right name, so they <laughs> so had to call it Hungry, hungry Jacks. Hungry Jacks, hungry Jacks <laughs> but the same logo, same menu. Burger Prince. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so talk to me about bar culture and then the, the lockout laws. What is that? So what, the thing what? that makes lockout laws... It's the fact that Sydney has such an amazing cocktail culture and such an amazing bar culture that makes these lockout laws so disappointing to okay. a lot of people consumers. in Sydney. Yeah, a lot of consumers. The lockout laws, I think they were first introduced, yeah, like 2014, 2015, something like that. So basically, the lockout begins at 1.30 a.m. Yeah, right? So many caveats. Yeah, so much sound no, hash. There's a lot feels. to it. Here, here's but, the But idea. the basic thing is that you can't leave a bar once you're in it after a certain time. Mm-hmm. You or, can't leave? As in like, you, you, can't, can't, you can't get crawl. back in. You, you can't, can't bar hop. You can't once go you're into in a, bar, a bar at midnight. Once you're in a bar after a certain time, you have to stay there. Or once you leave, you're out. You can't get into another bar. <laughs> the, goal is to shut th- the goal is to shut things down earlier than I think a lot of urban dwellers would be used to. So, But you can stay in that bar and keep drinking? Until three. Oh, Erin is no, Aaron. Aaron's shaking her head. I I got kicked out at midnight yeah, out of out of the bars. Don't listen in. to any. Don't read. Don't pay attention. So this is the thing about the lockout laws. So they first came into effect a few years ago, and they never sort of normalized. They've only ever spiraled. And the reason they were introduced was to curb what the lawmakers in Sydney perceived to be alcohol fueled related violence late at night. Yeah. There was That's some really why they were bad brawls outside there were some of bad bars. brawls. And side note, when I speak to everyone in Sydney. All these lockout laws have done have just pushed the same type of violence into the other parts of the city, but we're not going to talk about that right now. But basically, that was the intention behind them. They're supposed to have very simple terms. A bar or restaurant had to stop serving liquor at a certain time, and people weren't allowed in past a certain time. Very standard, very straightforward. But there have been all these reinterpretations of the law and, and sort of caveats attached to this law that it's really sort of spiraled out of control. And it's basically made Sydney, which used to be one of the world's great nightlife cities. I remember like people always going there late. You're out until 7 o'clock in the morning, um, basically lose all of its nightlife, which to a lot of people in Sydney, to a lot of people that identify with that sort of Australian, that part of Australia's way of life, it's a huge, huge buzzkill and a so huge my, bummer. So it's a literal buzzkill. For, for an actually. idea of what it's like, this was my experience when I was there last February, was for one thing, you go into a bar, let's say at 11, and the bouncer, you get an interrogation from the bouncer. The bouncer will be like, where were you before this? How many have you had to drink? Are you okay to keep drinking? Really? Wait, where were you? I was in, uh, I don't even were remember what like part King of town. Were you on like King or York Street, which no. are kind of very buzzy 
uh, no, I was Trump. like near. It shouldn't geez. even matter. I was, though. I was near. I was near the CBD. I was like. But that's in, where uh, the problem started. Duke of Clarence, around there, that area, um, which is an amazing bar. And this didn't happen at the Duke of Clarence. This happened close to it. So another because we left because we we're like this is ridiculous, and so because because I think there's liability associated with it too now. So so they don't want to get in trouble with it. Uh-huh. But then the next thing they'll do is that so you can't order shots after a certain time too, or you can't order shots at all at some places. However, they've interpreted it. So for example. I was on tour with a band. We were playing a show in Sydney. You can say And someone in the band asked for shots before we went on stage. It's just like, let's get in the mood. Let's play this show. And they're like, we're not allowed to give shots here. So what they had to do was give like a splash of uh, like soda water in the the shot to like make it not a shot anymore. So it's technically a mixed drink now. So clever, it's just, that's clever. So basically the idea is that it's kind of like you were saying, it spiraled to a point where like no one really knows how to interpret it and it's just all it's done is every bartender I talked to was like, this is killing us. Yeah. So literally, literally, I've had this conversation with people I know that live there, people that I know that work in the industry that live there, anyone sort of connected to Sydney. And every single response has been, it is strangling Sydney. It is not a good thing. So basically what's happened is they had this very sort of basic framework of what the law was supposed to be. The intentions being to curb alcohol-related violence. What has happened is that these lawmakers attached to the Sydney CBD have, from what I can understand and what people have told me, gotten so sort of like amped up on the power that comes with the voters that they get from exercising these laws from this sort of greater area that they've kind of gone a little bit crazy and militant on it. And they've created these clauses in the original law, which basically says they can kind of shut any bar down for any real reason whatsoever. So there was one bartender and one or somebody that managed a bar that I spoke to his bar, which was, acting perfectly reasonable late at night. They got raided 12 times in one night. What that's created that's is not a possible. F- 100%. And then I looked it up and it, it actually absolutely validated. Everything was verified what he said. It was it was it, 12 and, times in a night. In, in one night Rating because for what? of well looking are looking this, for people that just all sorts of different nonsense offenses that they've essentially created to serve this law. But what that's created is a fear is sort of like this 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 fear factor amongst bar owners that they don't want to take the risk anymore yeah. of getting invaded by these sort of caveats or clauses in the law. So they just play it safe. They and like sort of mutually assured sort of that sort of collective consciousness where one bar does it, so the next bar does it, so the next bar does it. And all of a sudden you have a city that used to be one of the world's greatest nightlife cities too scared to keep their nightlife open. And then the, so they all close down. That's what leads to like you trying to grab a drink with a friend and you're getting suddenly this, bar, this yeah, bouncer I, who's been told to be scared yeah. of drunk people coming to his bar is trying because, to see how drunk because I am. Before it's because the bar owners fear they have way less power than the lawmakers and they're scared that they're going to get busted for doing what they perceive to be nothing wrong. So everyone's just like, not worth the risk. We're just going to keep it super, super clean and close super, super early. And then like any prohibition and type law, all that stuff still happens. It, is, it just happens on, oh, outside it is of the strangling. It is I just started the night the earlier. I meant we started at six instead of nine. Like, I don't know. I, I admit I am not out until like 4 a.m. anymore. I can barely stay up past 10. But I did not feel it in the same way you guys felt it. I still was able to do what I wanted to do and I went home at midnight. Sure. That, it wasn't as late as you could have stayed out. Yes. Sure, but, but that's somebody 
who wants to go home at midnight in a city that should be open until four. I mean, regard like that's sort of a different argument, I reckon. But uh, my point is this. My point is more that there's a lot of laws in place that are very, very murky. And I know this from like really researching this, being on the ground and also talking to people and just knowing people there. And the default, the default result of what's going on is that Sydney's nightlife is really, really suffering. Business owners are suffering, people that want to go out are suffering. And, you know, I had a same, similar experience to Seb. Me and my friends were eating at Esther and Chippendale, and we walked across to the Old Clear Hotel, actually, which is a hotel that Laura mentioned earlier. We wanted to grab a drink. It was maybe 11.30. And a very upstanding, like, this is very not legit, like a dive. Yeah. 100%. Swanky, yes, this is and like a like, very nice Sorry, place. not serving anymore. And my friends looked at me, who live, who've lived in Sydney for about 10 years, and they was like, yep, this is this is the lockout laws. This Welcome to the lockout laws. So is it hurting tourism is it i don't think it's hurting tourism but it's hurting an experience it's it's hurting it must bar be hurting restaurant business owners. i mean they must for be sure. losing money yeah. right I, hurting I bars for sure people yeah. have to adapt yeah. their business style to accommodate it so there might be more restaurants than bars right you know like there's the cocktail bar scene again remember it's expensive in Sydney. Like it's more expensive than New York or San Francisco. I I found the, a regular cocktail yeah. was twenty dollars. Yikes! That's, that's like London. Yeah. So exactly, if you are more. going out, you're going to be dropping some money anyway. But like you were saying earlier, Aaron, it's just it's spirit of the place. You know, like people are like they like to have fun. Yeah. They, they are down to earth. They uh, they're good drinkers. And the fact that it's not accommodating a place and a people is. And one positive upside that we have seen from the lockout laws, if there are any, is that it's led to the sort of new culture of, if we can get behind this, day drinking bars. <laughs> yeah. So there actually are this That's like new I, wave of like really like um, there's this place for example. Just wasted at two p.m. instead of two a.m. Well, like, yeah, like, we're not sure just going to start earlier. Well, no, but, was but, a, no, but what I mean is that there actually is a new set, a new style of bar and a new style of day pub that's been created that didn't exist five years ago in Sydney. So that actually is a new trend in the city. Like Matt Moran, one of the biggest restaurateurs in all of Sydney, he started Barangaroo House, mm-hmm. which you know Sydney siders are going to and staying in all day and sort of drinking and eating and there's rooftop bars and it closes at midnight but like they do it for the day right. um, there's another great place in um, a few places in Bondi there's a few places up the coast that have the same ethos and this is created as a like a pushback on the lockout laws I think before you would have seen a very dead zone between one and four even recently when I was there it was hard to go out to meet someone because a lot of restaurants closed in that time and then opened back up again there were a few that are starting to push that in order to do kind of what you're saying, Aaron, like Chin Chin was open around the clock, right? So I could go and have my drink or my spring rolls or whatever at 2 p.m. That's not the case necessarily everywhere. So I don't know. I mean, it yeah. depends on what you're looking for, right? And then if you just want to be really optimistic about the whole thing, you can say, well, you go to Sydney for the weather and the sunshine anyway. So let's just make get everything happen during the day. <laughs> Early bird gets the worm. And you get up early and you go for your run along the beach. Gets the bloody man. Uh, Okay. The tequila worm. (laughs) That's better. I like options. Yeah, I mean, every person from Sydney I talked to while I was there complained about it. Everyone. Everyone No one was happy. No one I talked to was like, yeah, this is great. And no no one thinks that it doesn't affect the city. Everyone is like, it is strangling the city. Yeah, and I think like any any of these attempts that have been made in municipalities throughout history – Creativity actually thwarts the original intent. So people are day drinking. So we didn't actually <laughs> cut down on the drinking. Well, it's, it's we just a, moved it. It's also like it all depends on what came before. So like Sydney had a great nightlife. Sydney was known for it. So now people are like, well, shit, that's been taken away from us. But you look at like a city like 
Boston, for example, where when they like kept bars open half an hour earlier, like 2.30 instead of 2, it was like cause for huge celebration, right? <laughs> so it's all relative as well. Um, and I will say that if you go to a suburb like Newtown, which isn't that far from where you will be anyway in Sydney, the lockout laws don't apply there. So if you really, really are craving that really late night drink, there are places you can go that's not going to require like an hour-long taxi ride. Like Newtown is probably the, the easiest place to access and the place where most activity is happening. But yeah, the CBD... Not late night. No, that's a is, good point. I said Newport before I met Newtown. Newtown. Yeah, okay. totally. Is there Uber? Is there Lyft? Like, yeah, yeah. I was Uber. Uber, is, I, Uber is a great way to get around Sydney, actually. Okay. All right. And that uh, if you're going... The metro's good. Yeah, longer, the metro's mm-hmm. good. Buses are good. Mm-hmm. It's, it's an easy city to get. And walking is, it's such a walkable city. Great. At least when you're in the center of it. Okay. Thanks, you guys. That was terrific. Uh, I feel like we really got to... Anybody want to take parting shots? Any last words? I don't know. I feel like you talk about Sydney. You don't mention what's outside. Like you said, the mm. people are going to send you to the Blue Mountains. Eh, that's fine for like an afternoon. I would say like Hunter Wine Valley if you're into wine and you drink a lot of Shiraz and Malbec or Pretty Beach House, Central Coast, or all the way up to Byron Bay. Get out of the city. You have, yeah. That's your second week. It, that's that's your second or week. Or after the first four or like five your, days. After or the first like four days. The fifth is, day. This is, is your day five and day six, and then the, right. the next week can be spent Melbourne, Adelaide, Perth, okay. whatever, Tasmania. Great Ocean um, Road. Yep. Also, Orange is the up-and-coming wine region that's in New South Wales. So if you don't want to do Hunter Valley, like do Orange, which is really cool. A lot of biodynamic young winemakers that are there are really, really easy to access. And the alternative to Byron Bay is this place called Jervis Bay now, which is down the south. A lot of like Australia Vogue yeah. editors going down there. So it's a, if you don't want to do the Byron Bay, which is super cool, but a little bit saturated, Jervis Bay. The beautiful white sand beaches down yep. there too. Mm-hmm. But no Thor. No Thor. Well, I don't know. Maybe not yet. Seb, what about you? Parting shot? Mm-mm. I, don't, I, don't, I think I, we've, we've covered it. Rent um, a yacht. <laughs> rent a yacht for. I mean, I do think get on if the you're water. gonna get on the water, yeah, is mine. I think it was the best day I spent in Sydney was spent in the harbor. You know, and you can you take a boat you know, out, windsurf things like that. Like, it, can you actually? No, get there's on there's the water? places. Yeah, I think that's more. I don't know if you can do that in the harbor. I think. I might have seen a couple of jet skis or something, but this was like you rent a boat with some friends, you have drinks on board, sail and around. you can sail around. You go out to some places where there's literally like tiny abandoned beaches within the harbor itself, um, and you can jump in, you can swim, you can. It's it's a really great way to experience the city from the water inwards. You know, cool. All right, thanks, you guys. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. We are on iTunes. We are on SoundCloud. Visit us at cntraveler.com where you can find both our Sydney city guide, cntraveler.com slash destination slash Sydney. We also have Aaron's Black Book, which you can find online, uh, online on the website. And um, in print right now. And you can get the magazine. For God's sakes, go get the magazine. It's a why good not? one. It's the cruise it, issue. Yeah, it's awfully pretty. Pretty. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's quite lovely and uh, has the black book in it, which has a ton of stuff and also some really nice photos that will help you visualize what we've been talking about. I need to encourage you to go listen to the Women Who Travel podcast um, because they're doing some really great stuff. Meredith and Lale continue to astonish. So check that one out. Subscribe to that if you haven't already. We are at Condé Nast Traveler on Facebook, on YouTube, CN Traveler on Instagram and Twitter. And please do tweet at us, review us on iTunes. We do respond to the feedback as best we can. And Aaron, where can people get in touch with you? Aaron underscore Florio on Instagram. 
I'm at Laura underscore Redman on Instagram and Danan825 on Twitter. Seb. I'm at Sub Modak on Instagram and Twitter. And I'm at Bradrick. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Bye.